Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Welcome back to Libromania, a podcast for the book obsessed, featuring interviews with contemporary authors, discussions about key figures and movements in literary history, examinations of various genres and current events in the literary world, and celebrations of book nerddom. You know, bookstores, book design, book collections, and more. I'm David Kern. This is chapter 16, in which I chat with one of the world's most foremost book cover designers, Mr. Paul Sayer, a man whose work you have seen numerous times perhaps without even knowing it was his. You know, with a book cover, it's a visual graphic representation of a story, um, a novel, the act of reading, right? And I would say the same thing about a theater poster. You see, most people see the poster before they see the show. The poster has information on it that you need, time, date, obvious stuff. But also, it, what's, what is this show about? What am I getting into when I go to this thing? I, I view both as a doorway to some experience that someone has. You know, with a book cover, you see the cover before you open the book. And frankly, I don't care about the marketing part of it. I care about making something that's a doorway to an experience somebody's going to have and creating something that is appropriate and compelling and, and feels right for that situation. Paul Sayer is a graphic designer who has operated his own independent practice since 1997. He's a frequent visual contributor to the New York Times. He's authored books, redesigned two of Canada's largest magazines, built and destroyed a life-size monster truck hearse for the band They Might Be Giants, and appeared in a 1990s when on a Rider film. He received his BFA and MFA from Kent State University and has taught graphic design at the School of Visual Arts for the past 13 years. He lectures extensively all over the world and is a member of Alliance Graphica Internationale. You've seen his work before. He's designed renowned covers for books by Chuck Klosterman and Malcolm Gladwell and others, and he's been charged with updating the covers for the likes of Ernest Hemingway and Muriel Spark. He's done design work for the Criterion Collection, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and many other media companies and publishers. Plus, he's the author of a memoir called Two-Dimensional Man, in which he shares stories from his 30-year career. You can find it at Amazon or wherever you buy books. Elliot Earls calls it a quote, gut-wrenching and at times hilariously compelling look into a designer's life. This is the only design monograph and memory I could honestly characterize as a page-turner, end quote. In today's episode, in this conversation, Mr. Sayer and I chatted about the process of designing a book cover and some of his favorite covers. If you subscribe to the notion that the old cliche, never judge a book by its cover, is nonsense, then this conversation is for you. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's a, this is a show for people who are, as we like to say, book obsessed and the, uh, the, all the things that go into books besides just the reading of them, besides just the words are something that we're all kind of um, intrigued by. So I love talking to people who do typography and layout and, and uh, cover design. So this is, uh, this is great fun for me and I, I appreciate that you, you took the time. Oh yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I I wasn't familiar with your podcast, but I did. I mean, your subject matter is is uh, is fantastic. I mean, some of the uh, I, I got into a couple of them. Um, 
<laughs> well, so yeah, I appreciate the diversity. Um, you know, I'm, I'm typically talking to designers most of the time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. this is a, it's, it's, it's nice to, to talk to the other side, I suppose. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I like to hear from with, I ask novelists this a lot about how they kind of, you know, what their motivations are for writing. Like, why do they, why do they put themselves through it? <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of novelists talk about how it's a, it's both great fun and, and really challenging to be a writer. Um, you know, it's kind of a lonely, a lonely thing. And I was wondering if that's true for designers too. Like when you're, it, it's, I mean, I'm sure there's some collaboration going on. You got to collaborate with, you know, publishing houses, say, or editors or the authors themselves. But when you're actually sitting down and doing the work and having to conceptualize, you know, the things that you're working on, is it, is it lonely in that same way? Do you, does it feel like a um, sort of a solitary thing? Oh, it is for me. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that's the same for all designers. Um, mm. I, I've had to accept that I'm sort of a loner creatively mm. to some degree. And I learned that the hard way, uh, <laughs> working in different uh, situations. Mm. You know, a graphic designer can be part of large, a large team or be an individual. And I sort of gravitated through um, trial and error to, you know, Right now, I'm working totally alone hmm. for the first time in a while. I, I usually keep a small office, but um, I'm, I'm back to working um, utterly alone right now, and I just prefer it that way. Um, I'm not a big collaborator. I, I mean, collaboration is part of it yeah. for, for a writer, too. Yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah, the, sure. the parallels are it's absolutely similar, the way I work, the way a writer works. Um, you know, and that goes for, you know, you call it collaboration. You could also mm -hmm. call it compromise. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't, I don't, I'm pretty uncompromising. Uh, as a graphic designer, I think that's, um, it has its own um, challenges that are different yeah. than what a writer might be running into along those lines. But um, we yeah. all, we all are um, kind of fighting the same battles, I think, mm. in a lot of cases. Mm. You mentioned that you're kind of uncompromising. And so that, I guess the implication being that that leads to <laughs> some challenges when it comes to working, you know, not working alone. But do you think that you, you have some leeway to, to be uncompromising because you've managed to achieve a certain level of maybe reputation or respect that you didn't have when you, when you were younger or, or when you were younger was your kind of uncompromising nature in your work, what maybe helped you become successful? I, I would say both of those things are mm. definitely true. Uh, when you're starting off, you know, it's hard to get anyone to listen to you um, <laughs> for good reason. A lot of cases, in a lot of cases, you know, what do you know? Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what did I know? Yeah. But I knew, you know, I went to grad school for graphic design as well as undergrad. So, you know, by the time I left school, I had learned how it needed to work for me, even if I didn't understand at all how it fit into the world, mm. um, which I didn't. But um, by it, when you say just, when you say it, there, do you mean your process? Uh, yeah, the way it needed to work. I mean, you know, I think the. the Again, a graphic designer can get into all kinds of different things. Again, this sure. is very different from, I guess it's, it's the same with writing. I mean, a writer can, you yeah. can write for the for a, news and, and um, work for a newspaper. You can write novels and be a sure. creative yeah, genius, yeah, yeah. work alone. Yeah. Uh, and there's everything in between those two things. You can write ad copy, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um yeah, you know, in grad school, I was designing my own typefaces and, and inventing everything, taking my own photographs and um, um, having total creative control over the work that I was doing, you know, even when I had clients when I was in college. You know, I did a lot of work for the School of Art Gallery. A lot of it was art-based and related to the design department. And, um, you know, this, I was getting these things printed. So in some ways, it was like being a working designer who had clients and had to satisfy certain needs that related to those things. But it was very open and free. And, you know, when I 
I, I started working, I got married and moved to Baltimore and started working at a uh, marketing communications firm, you know, having loans and yeah. just having an understanding that this is what you do. You go out and you get a job, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was miserable. Oh, mm. oh my God. It just wasn't grad school. Whether mm. that was process or whether that was, was the work we were working, the work mm. that I was working on. We did a lot of uh, work. They did a lot of work for colleges and universities. So there were these view books. Oh yeah. Um, and it was, you know, I, in the end, it, I, it, it's all learning experience. And I realized what was, I, I use those early work experiences every day. I think, even though that there was, there was a lot of misery for me involved creatively anyway. Hmm. Um, Hmm. but I just pursued at that time work that wasn't related to it. I did, I was interested in the theater and silkscreen. So I approached a theater and started doing silkscreen posters and, Hmm. This is those posters were the things that got me into designing book covers. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. Absolutely. It wasn't a plan. I just sort of stumbled into it. It was my need to have creative, utter creative control over what yeah. I was making. But yeah. I still felt the need to have it have a purpose, I say, because, you know, I, a client, while graphic design doesn't always need a client, it, it's certainly traditionally why the discipline exists, the profession exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, it, 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 that, it, you know, no one was asking for work that I was doing on the job. They yeah. wanted these theater posters yeah. and the transition from doing that to getting paid to do book covers was sort of a revel- revelation, but I wasn't something I could have planned. So how, how are those posters that you were doing similar to book covers? Like what, what about them led you into, into the book covers? Well, let's see. How could I sum this up succinctly? Yeah, it's in speech and when you when people can't be looking at them, right? Yes. Now, I mean, I think sure. I mean, you know, with a book cover, there is a it's a visual graphic representation of a story, um, a novel, mm-hmm. um, the act of reading, right? Uh, and I think I would say the same thing about a theater poster. You see, most people see the poster before they see the show. Sure. Um, maybe the poster, the poster has information on it that you need, which yeah. is different from a book cover in some ways. You know, time, date, whatever obvious stuff. But also, it, it what's what is this show about? What what am I what am I getting into when I go to this thing? If I go to this thing, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it's a I, I view vor, both as a doorway to some experience that someone has. You know, with a book cover, you see the cover before you open the book. And um, frankly, I don't, with book covers and theater posters, I'm not, while I think some of it's sort of interesting, I don't really, it's not my job to sell books. Hmm. Um, I don't care about the marketing part of it. I care about making something that's a doorway to an experience somebody's going to have. And creating something that is appropriate and compelling and, and, um, and feels right for that situation. Do you see yourself as being able to shape the experience of a reader with a book? I guess that's true. Um, but I would say that's not my mindset usually. Yeah. My mindset is usually to try to do justice to the book. Mm -hmm. And since yeah. Yeah, yeah, obviously the book's the important thing in the way is, is the, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. The cover is, look, let's get back to the marketing thing. <laughs> I, you know, there's people would disagree with me, but especially people in the marketing book department, but book covers do not sell books. You could have no cover. In fact, I, I've been threatening for years just to send <laughs> in like a, just something with nothing on it. <laughs> if it's a good book, yeah. It will you were one of your podcasts recent, recently was on uh, Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. You know, that book sold without any marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a good book will sell, a bad book will not sell, um or or a book that um people don't like won't sell and it doesn't matter what the cover is. Um, yeah. There's certainly plenty of bad covers on books that have been published. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe no, the majority think, now that I think about it. Yeah. No, I think a, a book cover can, I think can help the process somehow, but it, when you, when it comes down to it, it's, 
I think it's much more, it's a dust jacket, you know? It's, yeah. So I think that I don't have, I don't have aspirations or do I think it's a good idea for a designer to be messing around with um, creating, I don't know, um, a, your, your own sort of opinion yeah. about what you're getting into. Right. Right. Um, do you, do you, so do you ever, so one of the things that I was thinking about is if you're, if you're thinking about designing a, a book cover, then ostensibly you'd have to read the book. So would the, does the reading experience of a book that you know you're going to design a cover for, is that different than most other times that you read a book? Or are you kind <laughs> well, of constantly always thinking about what book you, how you design the cover? No, uh, well, this is, I'm ashamed to admit this, especially in, in the context of your podcast, but I really don't read anything now that isn't something I'm not assigned to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine you've got, a, I mean, there's probably a lot of reading yes, that you have yes, to do, a, hours of it, yeah. Yes, no. So I'm doing it all the time anyway. Um, and quite often I gravitate toward m- more challenging books. So, you know, a lot, a lot of times you have to read them multiple times mm-hmm. <laughs> to even get a grasp of what the, what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, the reading is super important to me. Um, yeah. and it, but it, that's, it, it creates a sort of strange, filter in terms of what I'm reading. But but that gets also to the idea that I have to be super careful careful about what I agree to to take on as yeah. in terms of commission because I have to read it. So I learned that again through trial and error. You know, um, oh I had this relationship with this art director. You assume that the creative director at the publisher, because I don't work at a publisher, I work for myself, a yeah. publisher calls me with a title that's on their list thinking it's a good fit for me. Yeah. You know, you were talking about this idea of whether my reputation or doing it for long enough makes it easier to have control over what I'm doing. It certainly made it easier because art directors and creative directors sort of know what. Yeah. What you're into. Yeah. Or what would work given my approach, you know? Yeah. Um, So, you know, but early on, that wasn't the case. So I'd be getting, you know, chick lit or whatever, um, which I'd like to think that uh, uh, as a male, I could design a book for women. But the, the times when I've attempted to read such books um, and design the cover, it never went well. <laughs> at least admit to that. So, you know, if, if there's a book about UFOs, Paul's the person to call. Um, <laughs> But I don't know about chick lit. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so, have, uh, so when you're working, so you get a manuscript, say, and, and someone, you know, you're working with some art director who you trust, and and you're, you're you agree to do it, and then you're reading the book. You mentioned you have to read it multiple times just to kind of get a sense of what it is, what it means, and so forth. Do you have to go through? Do you do you create multiple sort of mock-ups or iterations of what the cover could look like? based on different understandings of it? Or do you do one and then you send it over and then they tell you, well, this isn't really what we were thinking or this isn't really the direction or this isn't really what the book actually meant? Or, or do, you, do you generally get what you want? Do they, basically, do they generally agree to what you propose? No, I, I probably sound like the kind of designer who sends one cover in and says, this must be the cover. <laughs> that is definitely <laughs> not the case. Either yeah. people can do it do that. Uh, I maybe used to think that, that there's one cover yeah. you know, for a book. Yeah. All things being equal, you know, in a perfect world, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I totally don't agree. I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think that, um, you know, it's funny getting back to that idea that, um, how, how, um, important my voice maybe is in a cover commission as it relates yeah. to this, uh, the, the book. And while I feel like it's not important at all in terms of the book, I have to have a point of view of the work that I make mm-hmm. for the book. Mm-hmm. So it's a funny thing. Like I really feel like those two things, you can't reconcile them on some level. And maybe that's what makes it interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's true. Like I can't just be a chameleon and assume some, mm-hmm. some role that, that that doesn't relate to my 
what it is that I'm doing and the way I feel like it should go. So it's weird. It's a, it's a, there's a dichotomy there about design that I think is really fascinating and never understandable and, or it's always uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I just went off on a tangent there for a specific reason. What was the specific <laughs> point of your question again? Well, I was just asking about how you, do you do multiple covers based on different understandings of it, of the book that maybe you right. have to dialogue with the, the publisher or the author or whatever to, to kind of narrow down what might be the actual thing they're going for. Well, I, I'll just quickly tell you how the process works. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, the marketing side is involved in this as well on the sure. publisher side. So there's a t- something called tip sheet. There's a synopsis of the book. They do a lot of sales stuff in there too, which I tend to ignore, but they, you know, similar titles, which I also can't stand and ignore totally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can imagine not- that would become kind of a crutch if you're, if you're not being attentive. Well, it's not even a crutch. It's just, it's, it's, it's understandable. Look, the publisher wants to sell books yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. want to know, they want some track record um, for books that were successful. So this is why you see a lot of books that look similar out there that are in certain genres, right? Um, right, right. Yeah. Books that were successful. Um, and so they, the marketing side feels more comfortable when you do a cover that's similar to this other book that's similar that did well, right? I mean, it makes sense. It's hogwash, but it makes sense. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the, I, I, but, I, but I feel like, you know, there's also conversations with the creative director that's talked to the editor about the book. And, you know, there, there are oftentimes attacks, uh, you know, that uh, ways of approaching it that make sense given larger themes that might not be readily uh, understandable uh, when you're reading a book that, that might inform what I do. So anyway, no, I, I usually will do multiple versions um, that, that I feel like could make sense for the, this particular, t- particular book, given certain other issues. And again, some of those are marketing, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you kind of have to take into account, you at least have to be aware of, of those marketing concerns. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Going into it without any of that is, it would make it very difficult and just in a practical sense to, to do work in this world that exists yeah. out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes you, most of the time you ignore it or you, or, or you make, maybe make reference to it in some subtle way, mm-hmm. but it's in there. Um, but yeah, so I do multiple ones. Um, you know, the, a recent cover that I did that sort of relates to this idea was um, one for Chuck Klosterman, who I did, I've done yeah. covers for for years. Yeah, I was going to um, ask about that. It was, uh, it's, God, what is it? It's the Upside Down book. Um, but, but what if we're wrong? That's what it is. But what if we're wrong? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Chuck is sort of go, uh, kind of branching off from his, you know, um, pop culture zone into bigger questions uh, with this book. And um, so it's questioning big things like gravity and, you know, we're here. So uh, I was just like, Hey, this is going to be impossible to get through. I knew this, but I talked to the creative director and said, look, it's a, it's just upside down. You know, we, we have a typeface that we use. And so there's a consistent vibe that goes through the books the covers yeah. done over the years because of that typeface, but it's Helvetica. It's nothing. It's yeah. totally generic. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's totally generic and it's centered and it's as big as we can make it. Cause Chuck's name is really long. And so it can only is, is uh, with this typeface, his name can only get so big. So it's like that upside down and that's the cover. And so, I told the, I told the, the, you know, the creative director, I said, listen, I know this is going to be almost impossible, but this shouldn't have any other text on it. There's no from the author of, or no subtitle or anything it for this to work. It's got to feel monumental. And I said, I know that's a tough sell, but I, you get, you know, and then that was that one that I felt really strong about, but I did three or four other ones that had space textures on it and other things. And it, you know, they, they ended up doing it. Um, 
Do you interact with Chuck Klosterman during this process or is it just with the art directors? Not at all. Not in this case. I don't, I've met Chuck a few times, but uh, any interaction we have is highly controlled by the publisher. They definitely do not like it when the (laughs) designer and the author go away secretly to waste money and time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, of course not. and, And again, that's, that's totally understandable. They are, they are publishing this book. They are investing in this book. They have to con- have control over um, how it's put out in the world. So. so can I ask you a little bit more about this cover? Because sure. um, you mentioned it's Helvetica, which is the font that you have used it's for all of his books. Is that is that right? Yeah, starting with Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. I'll just say briefly, um, I can't remember what year that was, early 2000s, I think. But he had published a sort of a, hair metal memoir before this i believe this is his second book and mm-hmm. uh i didn't design the first one i designed this one this one was a bestseller and so therefore the marketing people were like well all the books need to look like this <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that i mean so my question was going to be is that good i mean does that make you happy i mean does that excite you that that they, I mean, they like that. And so then they all want that same font. I mean, as you said, Helvetica is sort of this, you know, at this point, it's almost, you know, I don't know what the word is. It's almost visible. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's a great word. I mean, so does that, so does it excite you to have to figure out how do I use this font? How do I use this aesthetic for the next 10 books? Or are you like rolling your eyes and thinking, you know, well, there goes my font. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's well, this falls into the category of branding the author. Yeah. Uh, meaning similarity between covers so that you understand that the, the author's vibe, right? Um, so the author of this vibe in this case is invisibility. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean, you know, Chuck's humor is pretty dry. Yeah, yeah. Biting. So, a lot of, lot of sarcasm in it yeah and so but but it's also and it's you know sex drugs and cocoa puffs is you know there's beyonce in there and it's pop culture references and and so i think it's fairly high-minded popular culture observations is the way i would describe it and it's funny yeah yeah um but it's also fairly dry so that was sort of the challenge with that one getting back to the way you're that question. Mm-hmm. I think in this case, it made sense to me. Um, and I sort of liked the sort of nothingness of it. It was sort of like the type was structured and almost nothing. And then there was some kind of image that there was a conceptual twist to. So, you know, the sex, drugs and cocoa puffs is a, a bird's eye view of a cereal bowl with, with drugs floating in it instead of cereal. Yeah. So it's like yeah. sort of a forced idea in a way. The the um, then I went back and was asked to redesign the for his first book, Fargo Rock City, um, that I mentioned uh, to to work with this book. Um, and so this is a cow that's got Gene Simmons. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, you know, fur thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, and then the, the next one and on and on. Right. So yeah, I mean, I mean, no, I didn't roll my eyes at all. I thought it would just made sense. It was smart in, 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 not only in a marketing standpoint, but I think like you can, I can separate, I would separate marketing from kind of the branding part of it, even though the word branding relates to marketing. Yeah. Let's say it's got they, the covers have a cohesiveness and identity. I'm more comfortable talking about it that way. Hmm. Um, because that's yeah why wouldn't you with an author that's doing writing a lot yeah it's prolific yeah. yeah yeah there's going to be a, a number of different titles here they're all going to be related because of the author and the author's interests and point of view mm-hmm. so on that level it makes sense that they're interconnected visually somehow mm-hmm. so so you know <laughs> You so you use Helvetica, which you which you call invisible, but of course it it's had its it has its it had its heyday, right? I mean, there's the documentary about it and everything. Was that what what was when you thought let's use Helvetica back in the early 2000s? Was it that the sort of cultural imagination or the cultural perspective on that font was different at the time, or um, was the 
the universality of it, what was appealing to you um, within this context? Was there some kind of some kind of cultural understanding of that font that you thought was was uh, would work well with what Klosterman was trying to do in his work? Yes, I don't know if it, the time has that much to do with it. I mean, Helvetica was designed in the fifties and was designed specifically to be emotionless and generic. I mean, right. generic's not the right word, but it was designed to not have the baggage that other typefaces might have. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, it was it's a it's a modernist idea that you can apply this to anything because it doesn't have any personality. So you can apply it to the New York City subway, and it yeah. just yeah. feels. However, it feels usually it, it's it's a it's a um, that modernist template, um, and it has a very strong structure to it. And so this his covers have that some of that vibe in it. But I don't know if that changes. You know the the way Helvetica is viewed is is always sort of been this, uh, and now as it was fifteen years ago when I started these titles or however long it was. So yeah, it's it's sort of a it's sort of a system approach, an unemotional system approach that 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 contrasts with the images that are normally on it. I want to say too that the conceptual twist on the cover that we were just talking about, but what if we're wrong, is just that it's upside down. I mean, funny enough, this one, you know, as a book cover designer, rightfully so, you know, you're, you're, the cover's rarely mentioned. You know, but this one, Chuck was on uh, late night with Seth Meyers and, and, and they start off and he's got the book and they start talking about the cover <laughs> before they start talking about the book. They're talking about the cover. Uh, and Chuck actually went through the it funny. He went through the process of how a book, you know, how he, you know, he was shown it. And the thing he said that I love, uh, he referred to me as the design guy. <laughs> um, but he, he, um, he said, well, what's the track record of upside down books? <laughs> and then, so then they all, the market people scurry off and they come back and say, there's no, we can't find a book that's totally upside down. And then Chuck said, well, now we must do it. <laughs> so, it does sound like him. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I think probably I have some of Chuck's viewpoint on, yeah, there's some similarities. Kindred spirits, maybe. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I told you, like, that's a very anti-marketing approach, right? We don't know what's going to happen, but we got to find out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's, so, that's sort of beautiful in its way, I think. So one of the things that when, I, when I'm looking at book cover, like I'm even looking at on bookcoverarchive.com, there's like a page for you on there. And there's, you, you know, so it's got, I don't know, 40 covers or something like that. Maybe more. And... You know, in some cases, they've got a more minimalist approach, you know, say. Um, and then sometimes they're quite complex. Um, sometimes you've got, you know, symmetry and sometimes there's asymmetry and you've got complicated, complex um, typefaces and sometimes they're Helvetica. So do you generally, when you're reading a book, do you have a sense that that this book that I'm reading needs to have a more minimalist approach or it needs to have a complex approach. And so then you, you know, kind of immediately you're going to go to one side of those and create all your mock-ups in either a kind of a minimalist approach or a more complex approach. And I'm those technical terms, I'm sure for what I'm describing here, but, um, or do you kind of do one of each or, or try different, some maybe more complex with a lot of different elements and some more minimalist or, or so again, I guess the question is, Put simply, does do you know pretty quickly whether the book needs that more minimalist approach or not? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hmm. I guess I try to keep an open mind. Uh, yeah. yeah. As the I start the process of designing. I mean, you know, ab, ab, after time goes on, I guess you get faster and better at being able to do things quickly, or and or determine what a book maybe quote needs. But I. I, I'm more sloppy and open-minded. I think about expectations about what something's going to be, and a lot of it's just the process of design. You know, I, I always feel too. Design is essentially a process of finding something out, hmm. um, and so preconceiving going into it, I don't think is ever a good idea. 
even though, you know, after you've designed hundreds of book covers, it's, it's human nature to sort of do that. But, um, and, and I think for the better sometimes, I mean, you know, because we have budgets and deadlines and things have to be done. So it's not an open-ended, um, it's not an open-ended process, but, um, I try to keep an open mind while you were doing that. I, I know that I, I knew that I haven't been here in a while. I hate this website. I hate my page <laughs> on here. Cause there's so many, st- there's so much stuff in here that it's just a mess. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in here. I didn't design. Oh really? Um, I mean, there's a, there's old, there's paperback versions of things that got changed and messed with, or that I didn't even do. Huh. There's one, there's one in here. It's how you play the game with colored dots on it. I didn't design that. There's, there's probably 25% of these books I didn't design. Interesting. Um, and I would say there's another 25% that were mucked with after I designed them internally uh, and a third reprinting of something or uh, a sticker was plopped on it or something. So it's, it's a little infuriating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually, the internet's like this, but I, I, um, but that's, you know, here you, you, you talked about asides. Uh, I'm, I'm always really the design credit that is always something that I'm rare. I'd rather have my name not on something if I don't have a hundred percent control over it than actually yeah. have my name on there. And yeah, I that makes sense. One, I'll tell you one quick story. So a lot of times I go to the strand in New York down in yeah, the basement. It's a great bookstore. Awesome. But down in the basement, they have like, I don't know what the section is called, but it's just like they have tons of copies of the same books that didn't sell and they're all packed down there. There's a term for it in the, in the booksellers. But anyway, um, you know, when it's not a current book, it gets put down there and if there are bunches of copies. So I'll go down there to get extra copies of books that I've designed for samples, whatever, oh, yeah. my archive. Yeah. And so um, I was working on this awful book called Cadillac Beach. This is one of the books that I'm talking about years earlier that I, that I had to read, which I wish I didn't have to read and um, try to avoid these types of books. But anyway, it was terrible. <laughs> At a certain point, I was just say, I just said, you know what? We're, I'm resigning. I'm, I'm quitting. You guys go and find another designer. It, this is not, this is not working out. So, yeah. uh, or I may have said, just do whatever you want with it. Just don't put my name on it. Anyway, I pull out, I saw the spine said Cadillac beach. I'm like, and it had this teal color that we were working with. So I'm like, Oh God, what did they do with it? I pulled it off and it was this awful cartoon of a, of a, a, cat, a pink Cadillac with teeth. It was just whatever. <laughs> and so I'm like, Oh my God, I'm laughing. I, I, and I'm like, who put this one to bed? And I opened the back set. It says design Paul Sare. <laughs> and I literally made like an audible, oh! <laughs> like four or five people looked over at me. So, you know, it's like usually... Uh, Can you do anything about that? No. I mean, I guess they've all been printed. What are you going to do? I know. You know a thousand copies or a thousand copies. anyway, except for me. But yeah, I, no. I just, you know, I, that, so that happens a lot too. Anyway, that's an yeah. aside. You can... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, you know, I was thinking about how you did that. You, so you did do the Hemingway books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you had, I assume you were commissioned to do the whole series. You've got the sun also rises for whom the bell tolls, a farewell to arms, the old man in the sea and so forth. That, that yeah. might cover it. Yes. Um, so, but you've also done books by, you know, classic books or collections of sto- short stories or, you know, you did a Nabokov book or however you pronounce his name. And, um, so and you look so I look at the I look at the Hemingway ones and there is a sort of simplicity you know there's a symmetry to it and it's you have the same sort of um, the same sort of feel and the way the typeface is laid out and everything is the same in all of those I assume they asked you for something consistent across the series is that is that right Well that one was and again because obviously it's posthumously and and yeah. um, these are really well-known books and um, it, it was it, this was more of a like let's try to figure out some kind of series that updates the experience somehow. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't, I, mean, I, I think, you know, publishers make most of their money on these types of books and they just, they just languish, you know, in terms of the covers, they don't need to redesign the covers because they're selling and um, yeah. the schools are buying them, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, in this case, they really felt like, you know, we need to update this because the last time someone had designed the series, it was like, 
20 or 30 years ago. So they look very dated and not dated in a way that relates to Hemingway, I guess I would say. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it felt like the early 90s. Hmm. Um, so uh, in this case, we, I, you know, was using contemporary typeface and, um, you know, I- imagery that evoke something, you know, from, Did the, they- from the book. Did they ask you for something? Uh, I don't want to something as straightforward as this. I don't mean that to be a derogatory word. <laughs> no, no, and, and these are these are similar to the the what we're talking about with the uh, Klosterman ones, where mm-hmm. we're thinking of them as a series. Yeah, uh, and you know, to the type is super simple, sort of understated. Yeah, the classic in its way, you know, and then the imagery um, again relates to the book. Yeah, um, we did again with this one. We did maybe three or four different ways of approaching a series, and this was the one that was felt the most sort of contemporary and right for the moment. I think we did these. Is it actually your favorite of the ones you did? Yeah, yeah, okay. it is. Um, Jason Fulford, photographer, was the photographer I was working with on these, and he. Um, it's a, maybe it's a subtle thing, but you know, for the image for old man and sea, he went out in a boat all day with a couple of old fishermen out hmm. in Montauk to get that image. Yeah. You know, huh. Um, the, the image from the, the, um, he didn't travel for all of these, but, um, oh, and right. He didn't do the sun also rises because this was a funny one. The creative director, John Fulbrook at the time called me and said, hey, would you like to redesign Ernest Hemingway's books? I'm like, of course. <laughs> and he said, here's the catch, though. You, you know, the first one is Sun Also Rises, and you have it has to have a bullfighter on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it's, yeah, funny that's how, a it's funny how, like, expats, like, you know, the romantic idea of expats, you know, and bullfighting, it seemed like a kind of avant-garde interesting idea. <laughs> now it's just awful. Um, <laughs> But, um, <laughs> so anyway, we use a stock photo. I'll make them blurry, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to diffuse some of the awfulness involved. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of them were, were, were Jason. And, you know, for, uh, to have and have not, you know, he, he was threatening to rent a boat and sail to Cuba. And this was, <laughs> this was like 10 or 15 years ago. And yeah, while I love the best that, plan. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, well, I love, I love that about him. And I definitely feel like, you know, the reader isn't going to be conscious about that, but that's in there. You know, if there's that much care and that much effort um, involved in, you know, the, the, the making of a cover, I think that's, it resonates, you know, yeah, yeah. in ways that, you know, can't really be articulated and probably wouldn't even be noticed, maybe. But um, it's in there. So for something as simple as like symmetry, do you, I mean, a lot of your work has, you know, well, I guess you seems like, I, I guess I don't know which, I don't know which covers on this list, for example, that you actually did now. Uh, but there's a lot of asymmetry. Um, I'm looking at, did you do the, um, the full blood Arabian? Want the horses? Yes, yes. Uh, that that was for New Directions. That's actually a, a soft cover poetry edition that they do. Um, so, you know, a book like that where the titles are sideways, and I mean, do you? Is that just something where you just kind of play with it, and you just you 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 have an image, and you're like, well, so how do I fit this much text on? I mean, I know there's a long line of text on the second line under the you know where it says who it's translated from. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure you have all these challenges you have to overcome overcome or figure out how to solve whether it's the amount of text on the cover or uh the sort of whatever the the, the size of the book actually is and so forth so when it comes to asymmetry versus symmetry do you sort of just in kind of worked instinctively on that or do you use that do you use symmetry versus asymmetry strategically if that if that makes sense i use it strategically i would say most of my work has elements of both um and for your listeners um what you're talking about with asymmetry and symmetry is a basic compositional kind of idea and it's it gets to three elements that are should be in design and that is a sense of balance 
and that's asymmetry or symmetry, a sense of uh, unity, that things feel like they belong together, because a lot of times we think, forget about a book cover, for instance, someone, in this case me, is combining elements that are disparate, that don't belong together. You know, it could be a photograph, typeface, forms, right, that are very different from each other, color, texture. Uh, And then it, uh, it should have a sense of movement to it. So getting back to the idea of balance, Symmetrical balance is a very, very natural kind of thing. You know, it's like you think of a drop of water going into a puddle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, symmetry is a very natural occurrence. Asymmetrical balance is sort of very unnatural in some ways. Um, but asymmetry is, a, is as a way of balancing a composition is much more interesting usually to look at because it's sort of like the analogy of chairs perfectly balanced, doesn't feel like it's going to fall over, but it's not something you want to look at for an extended period of time and contemplate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Asymmetry yeah. is more like a high wire act, like something could fall, a person could fall at any minute, so you can't take your eyes off of it. That is the non-academic um, way I would describe that. Um, composition is as complicated as music theory, <laughs> yeah. if you believe it. Um, of course, you don't. Well, isn't there a famous things. book design book that actually talks about talks about the um, the elements of design as being like the notes of music? I man, I feel like I just read this. I can't there remember. Probably what it is. there probably is. There's definitely parallels there. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, there's a science to it. Anyway, I I tend to incorporate both quite often in my work. Um, and usually it gets, I think it gets more interesting when you are playing with those two ideas and not quite ever kind of landing in one place or the other. Mm. Now I say that, yeah. again, getting back to that uh, uh, Chuck Klosterman book with the center type, that one's totally symmetrical. But the thing that I would consider sort of asymmetrical in it, even though it's more of an idea than actually forms being moved in different places, is that it's upside down. Yeah. Right, it's a yeah. twist. Um, so your brain yeah. is still kind of responding to it, like it as if it were asymmetrical. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so I'm looking. I'm looking on this thing. It's funny that cover you. This is another thing that might be an aside, but it's <laughs> definitely something that needs to be said. In this case, you know, this cover, the um, full-blooded Arabian, was a cover that I actually didn't design with my own hands. Um, my designer eric carter designed this cover i may have looked at this set and four or five other ones and said hey that one's great let's do that one okay. and maybe yeah. shove this over a little bit so you yeah. know yeah. while i i probably more than most designers am hands-on and like it that way um there have been times over the years where a designer who worked for me did most of the heavy lifting Sure, um, sure, and that's yeah, the case with yeah. here. I just wanted to mention that, but you know, that's what makes it. If I was just doing this book cover archive, I probably wouldn't put this cover on there just because mm. I didn't have. But that again, like it was done for the from the office of Paul Sayre. So it's, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's funny because the the cover next to it here, we're referring to this thing, and your your listeners can't you can't see it, but um, I did a series of covers for uh, Cl- Clarice Lispector, the Brazilian author. Mm-hmm. New Directions has been doing new translate, translations of her for an English-speaking off, audience, which is amazing. And it introduced me to her, which I'm very thankful for. But um, in this case, there were four different covers because they'd been, they'd been written in the 60s, whenever they were 50s and 60s, whenever they were written. And it gave us the opportunity, gave me the opportunity to kind of not think of the covers. I didn't need to read these books. Um, in fact, I didn't read, I haven't read two of them, uh, because what we did was we used it as a way to put the author front and center with these covers. Hmm. And so the, so it's a, and, and she was just an incredible looking person. Um, <laughs> there's no other way to describe it at every point hmm. in her life. Hmm. Um, and so this is a really beautiful photograph of her as a, a, a young author. And so it was, um, it was a way for us to sort of like design four books with the same image. So it's sort of a puzzle. Each book hmm. has, has a piece of her face and then the books can be sort of, 
you can kind of put them together and it can p- completes the portrait. And again, that these covers, I would say, are symmetrical in their way, but also very asymm- asymmetrical because when you put them all together, it's a very symmetrical experience. But each individual mm. cover is very asymmetrical because it's only a part of it. Mm. Um, so do you, you know, so you, you have instances where, you know, the text might be symmetrical, but then the image behind it is asymmetrical and mm-hmm. vice versa. Is that, yeah. is that, um, do you just, is that a way to play with it a little bit or, or? Yes, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Just, is, I mean, would you consider that where a designer is just having fun or is there a strategic way? Like you're, you're actually trying to do something to, well, I don't, I don't mean to sound like, I don't mean to say that you're being manipulative or something, but that you're trying to do something with the imagination or brain of the person who's looking at it. Or yeah. is it more you having fun? No, I, I think it's, it's the, it's probably both, frankly, because I, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love composition. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. I love it's moving things question. around. I, I love moving things around on a page and then see yeah. what happens. It's, uh, um, why I have no idea. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's why you do the job, right? From. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess you don't question, question at a certain point. There was, I'm looking at another one here, the visible man by Chuck Klosterman. And it's, yeah. um, it takes the idea of this Helvetica and centered thing, but I actually put type on a wall and the image in itself is very symmetrical. If you look at it, it's the, the seam, the seam of the room is right in the middle. The type is centered, but then the elements of the room are mixed up and asymmetrical. The windows on the left, the plants sort of on the left, a little further over and this image on the right of a person holding up a piece of paper in front of their face is on yeah on the right in the upper portion. And the thing I love about playing with form in this way in terms of composition is, you know, if you take one of those elements out, the cover sort of doesn't work Mm. compositionally. Mm. Um, So I think that these sort of ideas are, like I said, the analogy of the high wire act is is perfect. Again, there, there are many instances in music where you want something that you're playing to resolve or to make the listener hang for a minute and then it resolves, you know, yeah. if you're sort of huh. doing it in, in one flat thing, you know, it's not, a, it's not a linear experience a book cover unless it's moving. Of course, um, mm. maybe we're heading there. We <laughs> certainly are in the terms of how they're marketing books now. Um, yeah. I don't get a lot of requests to do that, but, um, you know, you, you, a lot of times you'll see on a website somewhere where the, the book cover is animated. Yeah. So it's not time-based, but it sort of is because you want to engage somebody and, you know, compositional ideas are meant to, you know, move the eye around the page um, mm-hmm. and um, engage, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fascinated by that idea that if you take one element off, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Does that, is that something that you're kind of constantly after like that to you when you, when you get to the point where there's nothing that could be taken off the page, that that's sort of where you're, you've, you've met the demands of that cover. You maybe even gotten to where that it's just like, that's a perfect cover for at least for yeah. the setting for that perfect, for that yeah. particular book. Yeah, sure. And, but I, but now it's sort of automatic, it's just automatic, you know, where I don't have to actually think about it. And then, Cause you got experience. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, again, the music thing would be a perfect example if you're learning, yeah learning it's very you're concentrating what you're doing well when you're actually playing you don't think about it you just mm. do it. And it's, yeah 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 that's not right you're right yeah. um there's a there was a cover i did years ago for uh, rick moody called demonology and that yeah, one it's right is, here yeah it was uh that one was is exactly this the typography is centered the smarties are centered right so yeah. it seems like a totally symmetrical thing. But if it's just symmetry, again, it's like looking at a table. It's a table. It's, yeah. it's not falling over. It's balanced, but it's not interesting. Uh, the same with like a flag. Flags, you want symmetry in a flag. Like the Japanese flag, awesome flag. Yeah. It's a flag, very memorable, but you, you, don't, you don't dwell on it. Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. for a second. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what this is doing. But if you look at it, the idea behind it is that the smarties are levitating. They're sort of doing some creepy, subtle thing. It's yeah. unnatural. Yeah. And they're just ever so slightly tipped. Like they're not perfectly straight up or down. Yeah. yeah. It gives the feeling of, it helps to enforce the feeling. But the fact that they're just, it's just not quite perfect is the thing that activates that cover. 
There's a little the little twisty piece on the plastic yeah. wrappers at the top sort of curved a little bit. Yeah, and the yeah. same same with that. Um yeah. I do a lot of work for the band. They might be giants and and um the first album cover I did for them was for a release called Join Us and it's got a ridiculous um monster hearse. It's a it's a hearse that's a monster truck. <laughs> it's pink. And it's crushing. We were talking about Helvetica. It's crushing Helvetica. It's riding over. <laughs> right? In fact, that when I presented the idea to the band, um, John Flansburg was like, I love it, but we're not a Helvetica band. <laughs> he said to me, it's good. But then I said, no, but it's an anti-modernist statement. It's crushing Helvetica. And then he was like, oh, it's great. <laughs> um, but if you look at that album cover and you put your, finger, you put your hand over the truck, you'll notice the type barely is moving. But when the truck is in there, it's just one word that's at an angle. The rest of it's very structured. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, the, it's sort of an optical illusion. Um, but it just in concert, it totally works. And it feels like the Helvetica is being, um, starting to be crunched like a car, you know, would be underneath the wheels. Hmm. Uh, again, these are all, I love that we're, we're able to, to sort of geek out to this level because I, I you know, I, I think it's like, these are the things that make you want to get up in the morning and yeah. you do, you know? Yeah. So do you, so when you're doing these covers, do you have to work in concert with the uh, layout people? You know, people who are laying out the text. Um, I mean, are you are you saying are you asking them? You know, what 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 typeface are you using for the title page, for headers, for oh the interiors? Yeah. Weirdly enough, no. Most of the time, not. Um, there are some publishers who coordinate that, and most of the time, as you probably notice, they don't. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, that that is there. There's a there are a number of different reasons for that. Each publisher typically has a, uh, a department that where the designers are just doing interiors. Yeah. Uh, and then their cover department is a different, this is maybe on a different floor and, and they are being outsourced or being outsourced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason. Um, so no, typically, which seems weird on the face of it, but I would also say that, you know, they also do a lot of things in publishing where, you know, you, they'll do a hardcover edition of something and then it's a dust jacket. And then oh, yeah. they decide, yeah, yeah. oh, we got to do a paperback. And now the cover is going to be totally different because it didn't sell or whatever reason. So they're, yeah. they're shifting it, thinking that, oh, you know, a different color, cover will make it sell. I mean, the fact that it's less expensive and it's a paperback is the reason it sells better than the hardcover in that situation, not because of the cover. Which, uh, again, I can't, I don't yeah. have empirical proof. <laughs> That's my feeling about it. Um, so we might as well just do a beautiful, lasting book cover, right? Uh, but anyway, that's one of the reasons why uh, that, that I think that is the case is it um, common for? I mean, how often would you say your name gets the cover design gets put on? It's pretty often, right? Yes, you know, it's funny. They, it, you know, I'm sure there were designers who are who fought very hard for that, uh, for for that to even happen. Um, but it, it's weird because, from from my perspective, it it becomes a sort of strange political football it Hmm. if if and it happens uh you know again we're talking about clients and deadlines and i have relationships with different people and because of the process many people are involved in deciding what a cover is going to be something goes south and i don't want my name on yeah oh yeah Yeah, yeah. if i say to a creative director that i don't know well i can certainly do it with a correct creative director i know well let's just get it done and do what you need to do with this thing. Just don't put my name on it. Fine, whatever. So it's some version of what I did, but it's not something that I would have wanted associated to, to be associated with. That happens. Um, but if I do that with a creative director, I work, don't work with a lot. It's they take offense. Well, you don't like it. Well, no, I just don't have control over it. I don't feel comfortable. I think a lot of times designers just put their name on it and don't, don't have the same threshold I do, but I know I haven't got, I haven't worked with certain people again because I did that. Hmm. Even if you do it in the nicest, most professional way, <laughs> um, 
So it's weird. Sometimes I feel like, you know, well, I, not sometimes. It's my name. I decide whether it's on there or not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and I'd rather not have it on there in this particular case, you know? Yeah. So, okay. I'll let you go. And we've, I've used enough of your time, but I got a couple, couple more questions. You got, you got time for a few more? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I guess these are kind of rapid fire type questions, I suppose. But is there a book cover out there that you wish you'd designed? Or just a book cover that you just, you look, you really love? It's kind of an inspirational, something that, that you... Sure. I, I don't think there's anything... Uh, there are book covers I think are great, but I don't know if I think about it like, I wish I designed that. I, yeah, I would have yeah. said that. If you asked me that question 20 years ago, I probably would have been able to answer it. Absolutely. And should give you examples, but not now. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly why that is. The, um, I'll, I'll give you a, there are a lot of covers I love. This is probably my favorite book cover ever. It's by Ray Johnson. It's uh, in the American Grain. Is that the, the William Carlos out. Williams one? Yes. Um, New Directions. I'm maybe 50s, 60s. This was published. And I don't know what it is about this cover, but I just love this cover. It's so nothing, but it's it's got a hand on it. Yeah, yeah, I see it, yeah. And the type is just sort of seemingly unconsidered, but it's just, I think it's beautiful. The black and white, it's kind of a yeah. black and white photo. Yeah. But I, I remember, huh. I remember where I saw this cover. I was in the, I was visiting Yale, the design uh, grad school at Yale to do a lecture or something up there. And I was in the bookstore that was near campus and I pulled this off. I was like, Oh, hmm. but he's not a graphic designer. He's an artist, you know, hmm. outsider artist. So, so I will definitely say this, you know, it's like, Artists who do design work oftentimes, especially posters, usually the worst poster ever. Like Picasso poster design. Don't, no. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, that's always the thing with like, you know, the museums. It's like, here are some posters and they're by Picasso or whoever. And it's like, they're the worst per- posters ever. Um, as much as it's actually, just a, it's only good as a curiosity. Yeah, I don't know. You know, they think because it's Picasso. Um, so, so you said it's kind of nothing, but what is it about it that is inspiring to you? Or I think you know? you're probably you, if you look at this thing, it, it probably looks like something I might even designed uh, <laughs> because it does a lot of things we were just talking about. There's just something off about it that's right. Yeah. And that activates it. It's almost nothing, but it, it, it that aspect is unrecognizable. The, the, there's something not reconcilable about the elements and how they were combined, and but it works. Hmm. Um, so, well, it's got that like subtle asymmetry. I mean, obviously, the in the American grain is pretty tilted, but even the way the fingers are kind of the the middle finger and the ring finger are kind of split just slightly. Yeah, yeah. There's just something compelling. The shadows. They're very compelling about it. Mm. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But mm. yeah, I love that cover. Is, is there some kind? Of, is there a classic book? Maybe a classic work of literature that, if you ever got the chance to to redesign the cover for, you'd be really excited. These should not be hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> this should be pretty easy. People always are, often people are asking me, uh, what would be your dream project? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have any. I, well, how about this? I, one of my favorite books is uh, called The Selfish Gene, uh, Richard Dawkins. I'd love to redesign this cover. It's, a, it's an amazing book. Mm. Um, oh, the one on, from the 70s? Yeah, yeah. Wow, the 70s cover, that's, yeah. that's a... Those seventies covers are it's like those old the, the one with the uh illustration. Yeah, the yeah, illustration. The crazy amoeba. That one's yeah. pretty hard to beat. That's the one I have. <laughs> yeah. These covers are terrible. Yeah. Um it's such an interesting, important book, in my opinion. But is there an era of um of book design that you that you're most inspired by or that you know, if you had posters in your office or something or in your studio, that maybe most of them are from a particular era? Maybe decade. I don't know how you define your yeah, book design. I would probably say not not something I'm aware of consciously, but certainly the '50s was was sort of in some ways, and and, and that might just be a perception of a couple of designers, Paul Rand and uh, Alvin Lustig, uh, their cover work, probably because they're so singular 
And talk about uncompromising and putting the, the book first. You know, certainly Lustig's covers are, uh, have, a, have a consistency that I really respond to. Hmm. Um, that certainly is not my approach. But I would also say there's, you know, there are great, uh, John Gall's a great book cover designer now is a great yeah, yeah. time for book cover design, um, even more so than maybe even five or 10 years ago because of, uh, what's going on with, uh, all the digital stuff. I think there's much more care given to covers now than there ever has been. Chip Kidd, um, Chip, oh God, I used to, in college, he was just starting, he, he's a few years older than me, but I would definitely say his work just blew my mind when I saw it. Um, and he's still doing great work now. Um, Peter Mendelssohn, great designer, great designer. Do you, is the uh, you mentioned Paul Rand? Is that the IBM guy? Yeah, he designed the IBM logo. Okay, he did a lot of really big identities, Westinghouse, but he did a lot of book design, uh, book cover design, book design, hmm. and yeah, it, yeah, he's probably the most famous well-known graphic designer. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I kept you long enough. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. This was fun. I, I, you mentioned we you were glad we got to nerd out, but that's, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I was hoping to talk to you is because I love just asking questions about some of these things. So I could probably have spent, you know, an hour just taking three of your covers and asking you questions about what, cho- <laughs> what your choices were there. So I appreciate that you, but I'm sure you don't, you don't want to, uh, you know, thinking about them too much, but I appreciate the <laughs> time to, to go over a few of them with me. I had, I had a good time. I did as well, David. Thank you. Well, thanks to Mr. Paul Sayer for joining me here on Libromania. To learn more about Mr. Sayer, you can head over to paulsayer.com. It's S-A-H-R-E. So paulsayer.com. You can also check out his book, Two Dimensional Man at amazon.com or wherever you buy books. As always, thanks to you for listening. If you like this podcast, please remember, subscribe, rate, review, leave a five-star review if you enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends to subscribe, help us spread the word. I would greatly appreciate that. Don't forget about all the other great content here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. We've got Close Reads, where we're discussing novels. Currently, we're going through Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen with special guest Karen Swallow Pryor. We've got The Daily Poem, where we are bringing you a poem each weekday morning. We've got The Plays the Thing, which is all Shakespeare all the time. For all of us here at the Close Reads Podcast Network, I'm David Kern. Thank you so much for listening and happy reading. Talk to you next week on Libromania. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.